We're uh, back in our sermon series, Firefall, and we're looking at the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Um, What's his role in our lives as Christians? And we've been looking at the book of Acts to help us answer some of these questions because it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, We haven't gotten very far, um, which I shouldn't be surprised at this point that I take forever on things and maybe it drives some of you crazy, I apologize, but... We've been in Acts 1 and 2. Like, I really thought, like, we'd be much further along, and not that we're going to go even close to looking at every chapter of Acts in this series, but I thought we'd be further along. We're not. Um, Let me give you some context to the passage I'm going to read to you and that I'm going to preach from. Uh, Remember, last Sunday, we talked about uh, Pentecost, and that's when you had Jews from all over the known world in Jerusalem. This is not long after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Only 120 followers of Jesus at this point. They're meeting in a room when the Holy Spirit falls upon them, which look like flames of fire above their heads when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And that's where we get this sermon series title. Then what happened is they went outside of where they were at. They started talking to all these Jews that were there for this religious festival, started talking about God and these Jews' own native languages. And they're wondering, like, what is going on? The Jewish people that are gathered there, they're thinking that they're drunk on wine, um, but it's only 9 in the morning, and Peter makes that point, and then he starts giving an explanation of what is happening to the crowds of people that are there in the city. And as a result of what Peter preached, he told them about the good news of Jesus and his kingdom, and what happened was the Holy Spirit convicted his hearers of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Remember, that was our focus last Sunday. And many people were not just convicted, but they were, does anybody remember? Converted. Whoever said that, you were listening last Sunday. That is amazing that you remember that. They were converted. They were changed. They were transformed. They gave their life to Jesus as king, entered his kingdom, and were added to the church. What we're going to look at today is what happens to a community of believers when the Holy Spirit is having his way in that community. This is what we find out, Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Let me read them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Here's the big idea that I want you to grab a hold of with me this morning. The Holy Spirit creates kingdom-centered communities marked by gratitude, equality, intimacy, generosity, and influence. Let's look at each part of that big idea, starting with the Holy Spirit creates kingdom-centered communities. In verse 42, Luke, Luke tells us that the first Christians... They steadfastly engaged in the apostles' teaching in the breaking of bread. What was the apostles' teaching? Let's start with that. The apostles' teaching was really just Christ's teaching, illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, remember that Jesus told his disciples, now, now apostles before his death in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things to bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And then in John 16, 12 through 15, Jesus said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. You see, the Holy Spirit, what it does is it illuminates Jesus' teachings. And which means, what does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to remember what Jesus taught, understand it, and apply it to life. And as a result of that, the apostles were then able, through the Holy Spirit, to illuminate the scriptures to the rest of Jesus' followers so that they could remember what Jesus taught, so that they could understand it, and so that they could apply it. That's what happened. Now, what did Jesus' teaching consist of? Well, <laughs> that's a, a, you know, a big answer, but it's really... It can be said simply, Jesus' main message, and I've told you this multiple times, was this. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. What Jesus was saying is that God's power is at work in and through me to defeat evil, to defeat sin, to defeat death, to make the world right again. So repent. Turn, which means don't just have a feeling of like guilt or remorse. Repent, remember, from last Sunday means like change the direction of your life. Change from you're the king of your life, your will be done, (laughs) Uh, you know, your way, your time to know Jesus is the king, his will, his way, his time. That's what it means to be converted. It means to like, hey, I'm changing from there to this. I'm surrendered to Jesus, and I'm going to learn how to live that out as the Holy Spirit empowers me, right? Now, everything that Jesus said was related to that good news message, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Um, and so the first Christians, what were they all about? They were all about discerning through the power of the Holy Spirit What does it look like to live all of their life under the rule and reign of Jesus as king? That's what their focus was. If you look at the New Testament, that's what the New Testament is is all about. The apostles talking about how to live all of life under the rule and reign of King Jesus according to the values of his kingdom. That's what the rest of the New Testament is about. And so you see the apostles tackling subjects like, if I'm living under Jesus' rule, what does that mean for my marriage? What does that mean for my parenting? What does that mean for my work? What does that mean for my relationships? What does that mean for my possessions? What does that mean for my priorities? What does that mean for my character if I'm living under the rule and reign of King Jesus? What does that mean for my attitude? What does that mean for my habits? What does that mean for my priorities, my perspective on life, my values, my goals? What does that mean for my sufferings? 
if I'm living under the rule and reign of King Jesus and his kingdom? What does it mean for my future? They were taking (laughs) all of life and asking the question, what does it mean to live under the rule and reign of God? Notice that verse 46 tells us that there is simplicity of heart amongst the believers. Other translations uh, use the phrase, there is a singleness of heart. What does this mean? This means that those first Christians, they, were, they had hearts that were undivided in their allegiance to Jesus and his people. Undivided. They weren't divided in their hearts, which means they weren't living their life and trying to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in their life. No. They were organizing their entire life around King Jesus and his kingdom. That's what they were doing. Singleness of heart. They sought the kingdom first. What does it look like in every facet of my life for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? What does it look like for me to eat and drink and work and play all for the glory of King Jesus? And you know what happened is that simplified their life. You know why our lives are often so stinking complex and complicated? Is because we are trying to serve multiple kings and we are trying to serve multiple kingdoms. That's why our lives are such a hot mess of complexity. Um, I uh, was, I'm a part of a group and I heard a guy, he, a part of this small group, and um, there was a guy talking about when he lost his wife to cancer, young guy, when he finally got around to dating again, um, he was going on dates with multiple women, you know, trying to find a spouse, and he said he hated every second of it because it was so stressful because he was always afraid that this person that he was taking out on a date would find out that he took so-and-so out on a date just a night before, and it just became so complex and so stressful. This is what it's like when we're trying to serve multiple masters. It makes life complex and really, really difficult and stressful. Now, that is the apostles' teaching. The, the first Christians were so devoted to it, singular focus, applying it, Jesus' teaching, his rule and reign to every aspect of life. Secondly, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. I will warn you, this first point is by far the longest, so if your internal clock is starting to freak you out because we're only halfway through the first point, don't stress out too much. Breaking of bread. Commentators will tell you that breaking of bread means more than just having a, a meal together. It's referring to the Lord's Supper. And so the first Christian community... What they were doing was regularly and experientially being reminded that they had entered the kingdom of God, not because of any merit on their part, but because of tremendous grace on God's part. That's what, part of what the Lord's Supper reminds us of when we engage in it. They were doing it regularly. Now, think about the apostles. Think about how unworthy they were to be in the kingdom of God. They had rejected Jesus in his greatest hour of need. They abandoned him, even though they spent three years with him. They saw his sinlessness firsthand. They saw the miracles. They saw the signs. They saw the wonders. They saw the healings, and yet they totally rejected Jesus. And now they are not just in the kingdom of God. They are the leaders 
of the church. Unmerited grace, right? That's what grace is, unmerited favor, right? Now, look, how about the crowd of Jews that, that, that Peter was talking to? What did he say about them? You may remember this from last Sunday. Yeah, they had the blood of Jesus on their hands. They had crucified Jesus. And here they're being converted. They're entering the kingdom, being accepted in. What amazing grace. Now, that's what the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, reminds us of. That's how we've entered in. So what does that lead to? Point number two is this. The Holy Spirit creates kingdom-centered communities marked by equality. Check this out. If the only way that you get into the kingdom of God, the only way you're accepted in, the only way that you become healed of all your messed up parts of you is in the kingdom of God. The only way you enter in is because of God's sheer grace. Then how can you look down your nose at anybody else in the church? Right? Which means if people have received the gospel, repented it and believed, and have been converted, um, they're just as equally valuable as you are. That points up on the screen. I, I think I pretty much said it. Um, not verbatim, obviously. There's inequality in the body of Christ. No one in the church can look at another person and say, you know what? I kind of earned it. That's why I, was, I got in and accepted I did enough, unlike you other losers, you know, to be, be a part of the community. No, nobody can say that. Every one of us is so sinful and flawed and messed up that it took the perfect Son of God to die for us so that we could be welcomed in and accepted and receive healing. Now, since each person in the Christian community is a blood-bought member, they have equal value and should be treated as such. Um, when the Holy Spirit is having its way with the community of believers, those dividing lines that tend to separate people don't exist within the community. Because when the Holy Spirit's having its way in Christians, and they're together, and they're viewing each other as equals, equally valuable and worthy, they're welcoming of different races, they're welcoming of people with, from different cultures. They're welcoming of people from different socioeconomic classes and status. They're welcoming of different, you know, people with different political persuasions. They're welcoming of people with, you know, who have different professions. The first Christian communities, you need to know this, were so radically different than the world around them because in one single community, you would have poor and rich you would have slave and slave owner. You would have freedman, and you would have slave. You would have uh, the marginalized and the well-connected. You would have Jew, and you would have Greek. You would have the religious and the non-religious. All in one community. You would have professionals in the working class, right? All the dividing lines that existed out in the world did not exist in that first Christian community. It was radically different. Now, 2,000 years later, the world is as divided as ever, and perhaps nothing is more contrary to the Holy Spirit than when the same dividing lines that exist out in the world 
Those same hierarchies, those same inequalities exist inside the church. When the Holy Spirit's having its way, they don't exist. Okay. The Holy Spirit creates kingdom-centered communities of equality. You know what else that leads to? If you have a group of people that are enamored by this idea that it's only out of sheer grace that they've entered the kingdom of God, and they come to understand that we're all really messed up and sinful and flawed and have made so many mistakes, but yet we're being transformed and healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what happens? You have a community. This is point number three. The Holy Spirit creates kingdom-centered communities marked by gratitude. In verse 46, what do you see? You see them praising. They, they were glad. The first Christians were glad people who praised God. The Holy Spirit had made their sin and their unrighteousness and their, you know, um, that they deserved judgment so clear to them that they walked around with such an attitude of gratitude because they know that it was Jesus paid for their forgiveness, paid the ultimate price for it. And so I wrote in my, my sermon notes, when you understand, I think this is on the screen, that the only thing in life you actually deserve is to be cast out of God's presence forever but that Jesus experienced the eternal separation that you deserve in your place so that you could be brought in and experience blessing upon blessing for all of eternity, this is what happens. You begin to see all of life as an undeserved gift. Why were the first Christians able to eat their meals with gladness? Because even the food they were eating was an undeserved gift from God. This sun that's showering in this building, and it is amazing temperature outside, undeserved gift from God. You don't deserve it. You deserve to be cast out in utter darkness. That's an undeserved gift of God. Your job, undeserved gift of God. The clothes you're wearing, undeserved gift of God. The breath that you are breathing in, undeserved gift of God. All of life, undeserved gift of God. You see... um, What happens when you are excited about an undeserved gift? What happens? What do you do? You share that news with somebody else. Almost always, when you're really excited about something and something's been really done for you that is so nice and so generous, you want to tell other people about it, right? Um, I say this a lot, but I just received, somebody just gave me a snowblower, a wood chipper, more tools, more cabinet thing for organizing. Um, This happens all the time. Undeserved gift. And what do we need to do when we get that? We trace that gift to the ultimate giver, right? Which is God. And then we tell other people about it. Why? Because we can't help ourselves. It's so awesome. And you know what? When we share the the great gift that's been given to us, we enjoy it even more. That's why we share it. C.S. Lewis said something about like our sharing is the culmination of enjoying the gift. And then it invites other people to join in that gift as well and to be blessed by it, right? And so deep gratitude expresses praise to the giver in the presence of others. How do you know that the Holy Spirit is having its way in your life? Well, you are so blown away by the gospel, and that has been so real to your, it's been made so real to your heart that you talk about it. You share it with other people. 
A grateful heart in the Lord created by the Holy Spirit is compelled to praise the Lord. All right, fourthly, the Holy Spirit creates kingdom-centered communities marked by intimacy. So I said that phrase, the breaking of bread, was more than just a shared meal. It was partaking in the Lord's Supper, but it wasn't less than a shared meal. And you need to know that sharing a meal back in Jesus' day was considered, actually Sarah said this a few weeks ago, it was considered a very intimate thing. It was considered a sign of like unity and solidarity, and we, we're deep friends. Why did Jesus, why was he hated on by the Jewish religious leaders when he had meals with tax collectors and sinners? Because meals were a serious sh- sign of intimacy, right? Now, Acts 2 um, 46 tells us that they were eating together. It, looked, it seems like it was a daily occurrence. They were sharing meals together. And then it says in verse 42 that they continued steadfastly in fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship is practicing the one another's. That's what fellowship is. What are the one another's? Confess your sin to one another. Forgive one another. Accept one another. See good for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Speak the truth to one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. You see, the first Christians, they were open and transparent instead of closed. They were interdependent instead of independent. They were not guarded. When the Holy Spirit is having its way in a community... And everybody realizes that they are deeply sinful and flawed. We can stop pretending. We can stop putting on pretense, right? We can be real, warts and all, because we've all got them. And the only way we overcome them is when we confess them. And the Holy Spirit does his deep work in us through his community, Look, uh, there is a great example of this in our church right now. Brandon Jerkovich, he is leading a group um, that is talking to men that that struggle with sexual addiction. And what happens is, these people are being open and transparent, real and raw. They're being supported and challenged in loving Christian community. Everybody knows they're accepted, even though this, for some reason, is a sin that seems to be like... Even the church is made to be like this, like maybe the sin of all sins, right? Like, and they're being transformed in the process. Number five, the Holy Spirit creates kingdom-centered communities marked by generosity. So check this out. If you are um, a, a kingdom-centered community, you know, you're all about the kingdom of God, undivided allegiance to it applying it to all life, you realize that the only reason you're in the kingdom of God is because of King Jesus and his tremendous sacrifice and God's grace, and and, and you are uh, realizing that everybody in your Christian community is equally valuable and has equal worth, right? And then you're in intimate relationships with people in your community. Guess what's going to be discovered? People have needs, Look, Acts 2, 44 and 45 says this, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among them all as anyone had need. You're going to realize there's needs and you're going to want to meet those needs. 
Because you've been re- you have received such grace, and you didn't deserve it, right? And that person that's in need, that's next to you, they're just as valuable as you, as you are. And so if they're going without the material resources they need, I'm going to be willing to give out of my surplus to make sure that this person who is bought by the blood of Christ is taken care for. When the Holy Spirit's having his way, there's no needy among them. No needy among them. Number six, the Holy Spirit creates kingdom-centered communities marked by influence. You tell me that if you have, you have a kingdom or a community of, of believers that's all about the values and ways of the kingdom of God, and they're walking around with an attitude of gratitude for what God has done for them, and they're viewing everybody as having equal worth, and they're practicing radical generosity to one another, I'm going to tell you that community is going to have influence in a city. People are going to hear about it. Verse 47 tells us that the first Christian community had favor with all the people. Sure. Why wouldn't they? Who doesn't want to be a part of that community? This is the community we were designed for, and whether we realize it or not, we want to be a part of a community like this. And that kind of community will impact a city. People are going to take notice, and they're going to ask, when you're hurting, why, why are meals showing up at your door? And when you're out of work, why, what you mean, that group of people who just gave you a few thousand dollar check to get by? And they're going to ask you, well, why, why are you over at that, that person's house and, you, and you're cleaning their house? You're, they're not even your family member. And people are going to take note. They're going to start to hear and they're going to ask why. And then you're going to be able to tell them because I have a king that's been so good to me. And this person in my church who is hurting, we hurt together. We bear one another's burdens. That's what we do. And that is going to be compelling. And people may just say, I want to be a part of that. I want to have that king too. Now, Main idea, the Holy Spirit creates kingdom-centered communities marked by gratitude, equality, intimacy, generosity, and, and influence. So let me ask you, Abundant Life, how are we doing? Let me ask you some questions to process. Is learning to trust King Jesus and learning to live out his kingdom commands so that his kingdom manifests itself more in your life and spreads to others the priority that organizes all of your other priorities. Is it the ring of rings? I think that's a Lord of the Rings reference for all of you. Right? Is it the one that rules them all? That's right. Or are you divided in your loyalties? Let me ask you another question. Are you devoted to understand and applying the apostles' teachings? If so, what evidence in your life supports your claim? Since each person in our Christian community is equally valuable, has equal worth, do you treat each person 
that walks through these doors equally? Or do you show partiality? What evidence supports your answer? Do you habitually view all of life as an undeserved gift, or do you live with a sense of entitlement? A key to assessing you know, where you're at with this question is thinking about how much you complain. When you're complaining, you're not living in that moment with an attitude of gratitude. You're not even seeing that <laughs> right now even your problem, like to even have a problem is a result of God's undeserved grace in your life. Also, you can ask yourself, how gracious are you towards others? If the gospel has really drilled itself down in your heart, you're not going to always act like you're smart and everybody else is dumb. I feel like I see this all the time. People have this prideful way about them that it's like everybody else can't figure things out. I'm the only smart person. If they could just do this and do that in this company and this business, it's like, what? Is that the Holy Spirit having its way in the life of a believer? No, it's not. Do you habitually give out of your surplus of resources in order to work towards resource equality in our church? Do you look around and recognize needs? And when you see them, do you meet them? And by the way, remember from our sermon series on generosity, what's surplus? What's a surplus? It is not what you have left over after you take you know, this vacation over here and buy this car over there and make sure the retirement nest egg is good. And no, your surplus, according to the Apostle Paul, is what you have left after your basic needs are met. Are you giving out of that? And last question I'll ask you. Is the kingdom of God, I, actually two more questions. Is the kingdom of God manifesting itself in your life to such an extent that it is causing others to take notice and surrender their lives to King Jesus? Do you know who's amazing at this? It's my wife. We are constantly... Um, People are telling us the impact that she makes on people. We just heard of this yesterday from one of our boys, I think it was second grade teacher, how much of an impact my wife made on this woman. And in like just few interactions, it's amazing. It's the Jesus Center. Last, last question. Um, if I can find it, oh, do you have a small group of Christians in which you are practicing the one another's? If not, why not? Why not? Who do you confess your sin to? Telling you, I've seen it happen too many times. People don't have this, and then things get screwed up in their life. Who are, whose burdens are you bearing? Who's going to be there to bear your burdens? Look, this stuff is not to squash your life. This is stuff so that you'll have abundant life. 
so that your joy may be complete. This is liberating stuff. Don't ignore it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for you. Thank you so much that you speak to us. Thank you so much that you care about us, Holy Spirit, more than we can even imagine. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you, you hold the, the key to life, and you can give, us, give it to us abundantly. May we be, Holy Spirit, a community that in which you are having its way. And may it result in the kingdom of God coming more fully here in Maslin and being spread to the surrounding regions. May there be revival here in our city. Holy Spirit, may you use us to show your tremendous love for hurting people and to convict them of, of their need for you, Holy Spirit, and for the need for Jesus' death and life and resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And Holy Spirit, I pray that if there are barriers to us... <laughs> to you having your way with us, that you would reveal them to us, and that we would partner with you to see them removed. In Jesus' name, amen.